Welcome to Training Unleashed, the show that will help you design and deliver training that's off the chain and will make a difference. Now, here's your host, Evan Hackle. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting edition of Training Unleashed. We're going to have a great episode today. We're going to talk about leadership, which is one of my favorite topics. We're also going to talk about the future and the future of leadership. And to me, it's always important to kind of know where you're going and where the industry is going, because we're all training professionals here. My guest is Eric Spencer. He's with Sky Team. Uh, they are an incredible leadership uh, company, HR company. Uh, I spent a lot of time on their website. They also have an amazing podcast. I'll point that out and a lot of great content. Before we get started, though, I want to thank my friends at the C-Suite, C-Suite TV and C-Suite Radio for being great sponsors of my show. Eric, we're going to just have fun here and let's just pretend for a moment it's 20 years from now. What has changed in leadership? You know, Evan, I think 20 years from now, we'll have figured out some things about leading remotely. We squeezed about a decade's worth of change in, in what it means to be effective leaders in the last year and a half, two years. Um, and there are some folks out there that are doing it well and some folks that are just sort of feeling their way around in the dark still. I think if you fast forward 20 years from today, we'll have learned how to do remote leadership really well, really effectively, and distributed teams won't be presenting the challenges that we're dealing with today. You know, I, I think it's interesting that, you, that you, you're getting to this point because I do think that there is a gap in leadership and understanding how to have leadership. The one-on-ones may be not that different, but the group leadership uh, is hugely different. And I think there's great opportunities too um, that didn't exist before because people are getting used to the technology. 100%. Um, so you are a leadership expert. Your company is a leadership expert. Um, what is your advice for someone right now and today? I mean, we just talked about the future, but what should people doing now to grow their companies by improving leadership? You know, I think the easiest thing that folks can do to grow their organizations thinking about leadership and looking through the leadership lens, it's it's knowing your people. It's knowing your people beyond what they do at work and how they do their work. It's knowing who they are, how they're wired and what lights them up, right? We've had an opportunity to see into, literally into people's homes for the last, for the last 18 months. We've seen pets step into frame. We've seen kids jump into frame. We've seen Sometimes not very clothed spouses pass through the frame. We've seen a lot of stuff, but we, there's been a lot of folks out there who haven't capitalized on the opportunity to get to know their folks. We were in a, in a loneliness epidemic prior to COVID, and it's only intensified. So if I was going to focus on one thing, it would be the quality and depth of the relationships you have with the people on your team. Yeah. You know, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, um, probably the first question people need to ask is where am I? Mm -hmm. And I know one of the things you like to talk about is the four questions to check the health of your company. So maybe we should shift into that gear and then and take it from there. How does that sound? Yeah, no, you know, we sort of predicate the, the assessment of how things are going with what we call the four yeses. And, and the four yeses are, are four simple questions 
to figure out kind of where you are in any given relationship. Question number one, can I count on you, right? Just count on you to show up and do your job. Question number two, can I depend on you? Whereas can I count on you is, is, is reactive. It's showing up, doing what's expected. Depend on you is much more proactive. It's am I going to give you the warnings of impending disaster? Am I going to give you the heads up that something's coming, that the boss is expecting something on, on Friday that I know you're on the hook for? And we can have a perfectly acceptable work relationship at the count and depend level. But where the magic starts to happen is with the final two questions. Question number three is, is do I care about you? And that's not a group hug, trust folly kind of thing. This is, do I care about you as a human being? Do I know your story? Do I know who you are, what you're about? And then the kicker question is, do I trust you? So count, depend, care, and trust. That's how we assess the quality of relationships. And if we don't say yes to all four of those questions, we're not in what we call an ally relationship, which may be okay, right? Maybe that's okay. But once we know that, we have a choice to make as to what we're going to do in that relationship. Invest in it, hang back. Are we, are we comfortable where it is? Do we need it to be in a different spot? So I would make the assumption that this is more important in certain kinds of roles than in others. So if someone's working on the production floor, not to say that they're not important, but maybe the relationship is different than if somebody you're working with daily. Um, so when you look at these four questions, what types of people are you referring to? Or is it literally everybody? I mean, I think that's the beautiful thing about the questions because they're applicable at whatever level or however you want to cut your, your relationships. You know, you think about shop floor, on the shop floor, we can have a perfectly effective relationship at count on. Just show up and do yeah. your stuff. Stay out of my lane, right? But if we need to elevate that relationship, if we're looking to increase efficiency, uh, productivity, throughput, right? If we're thinking about the quality of the relationships of the people on that line, it's going to be different, right? Yeah. Productivity is going to be different. If I know you, Evan, and I trust you and I like you, the chances of me having your back even in that shop floor situation, way higher, right? Versus letting you fail and yeah. costing the team productivity. But in a leadership role, I mean, you, you, have, you have a lot of power to, to assess those relationships at multiple levels. You know, at an individual contributor level, you're doing it sort of, it's very linear. From a leadership level, you're doing it very, very, you know, or vertically rather. So let's, let's talk about trust for a little bit. Because I, I totally concur with you. That's, in, that's, you know, I like the fact it was your fourth question, but I think it's a very high level of connection. Totally. How does a leader create trust? And how does an employee create trust? And which comes first? <laughs> yeah, chickens and eggs, right? Um, yeah. So I'll say a couple things about that, right? I mean, I think you create trust by walking the talk. You know, people often ask us, well, how do I get more allies in my relationships? And, and our answer is simple. You got to be one, right? You got to show up as one. You got to do the things you say you're going to do. You got to hold yourself accountable. And when you screw up, you got to own it. You got to step in and take accountability for that. Um, creating trust happens over time. And we always allot a modicum of trust 
We're not always cognizant of it, but we always do. I always ask people in, in workshops and at keynotes when we talk about trust, I'll ask, who here has ever flown in an airplane, right? And they, people raise their hands and I'm, I say, I'm assuming that you interviewed the pilot and crew and made sure that they were sufficiently trained. And you know, of course, nobody does that, right? We get on the plane. We don't even know who's up there other than the voice we hear vaguely understanding what comes out of the PA. Um, but we grant that trust that that person, that crew is going to get us where we intend to go reasonably close to the time we intend to get there in one piece, right? So we always grant some trust given the structure of the relationship. Where it gets interesting and somewhat wonky is as we move up the corporate ladder, people tend to get a little bit more puffy chested and they'll say things like, well, you got to earn my trust, Evan. I'm not giving you anything. And I think, really? You give it to the pilot, you give it to the chef cooking your dinner, <laughs> but not the guy who works in your organization? I'd like to give you a real world issue I'm dealing with right now around trust okay. and, and see what your insights are. So I have a, a new person that's reporting to me mm -hmm. and they're working on presenting to me some estimated times to get certain key things done. And what I've said to this person is you're allowed to make as many mistakes as you want to make you're it's okay to make mistakes. Uh, but what's most important to me is I get your best realistic insight into what something's going to take to get done. Okay. And, you know, I get that sometimes it's going to take longer and I get sometimes it's going to be shorter, but I would like you to give me your best estimate in exchange for that. I'm never going to hold your feet to that fire. And the person is constantly sandbagging me and constantly giving me more time so that he can constantly be the hero and come in under time. So my head goes, my head goes first to what this person's why is. What's his why? We, we always do things for a reason. And many times the presenting symptoms are not always indicative of the underlying disease, right? We're making an assumption that he's doing this to be the hero, to always ensure that he's got time to do it. Have you had that conversation with him? I, I have not had that like in depth asking him why. If I was going to speculate, it's because other people that he has worked for do hold his feet to, or did hold his feet sure. to the fire and the punishment was severe. Mm -hmm. And he somehow in his head has said, I never want to make that mistake again. Well, he, even if the punishment wasn't severe, even if he didn't experience it himself, I've seen this so often. I call this corporate mythology, right? We, we see this. I have a client, a very, very nice woman runs a business. She's been running it for 20 years. And people will say to me, I can't say these things to her because I'm afraid I'll get fired. Well, nobody's ever gotten fired for saying something to her ever in the 20 year history of the company, yet this mythology lives. So even if this employee of yours heard a story where this happened to somebody, it could yeah. be a thing that's going on inside them. Have you challenged them on their timelines? Have you said, I think you could do it faster and in, in, gave them an incentive to, to complete it faster just to see, just to build up to build up the confidence and credibility that you actually mean what you say about holding his feet to the fire or her feet to the fire. Well, I have talked about the timelines. 
but it's it's hard for me because you know this is a person you know sometimes you manage people who could do their job better than they could right in this in this case no it's not a chance i could not do this person's job better than they could uh, i don't even know how to do their job better than they could i i know a little bit about time but not enough but i can tell when i'm looking at the progress meter mm-hmm. on all these projects and the progress meter says that you know they've done three times more work in that week than they have people to could do the work right so i know that the estimate for time and the percentage project completion, I know it's not matching up. Yeah. Um, so I, we don't need to, we don't, I mean, there we're, you know, there are a lot of people listening right now, yeah. but I'm sure that there are people that can, can experience, you know, experience this where people are, are sandbagging at work. I think it's a very, it's a very common thing. I, I would say there's two, there's two things that you can do, right? Number one is they need to experience some sort of miss where the the predicted consequence doesn't happen, right? Yeah. They've got to they've got to live through that. It can't just be hyperbole. And and two, you can incite them to perform better, faster, more effic- efficiently, um, to give them the 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 confidence that they need to start to ratchet in their timelines. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So you've been talking about this term ally. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like it. And I suspect there's more to this conversation than this yeah. one thing. So if you could elaborate on what is an ally at work and how do you build them, which I assume the four questions are a sign of the, you know, are an indication of where you're at, yep. but tell us more about being an ally. Sure. Sure. So on the relationship ecosystem, I mentioned we have four relationship types and the ecosystem is a set of axes, picture a, an X and a Y. Um, in a traditional four square type model. So the the vertical axis goes from unconditional at the top, conditional at the bottom. The horizontal axis goes from a me focus on the left to a we focus on the right. So an ally relationship is an unconditional we relationship. I'm in it for us. I'm in it for the betterment of the relationship all the time. I've got your back, good, bad, right, wrong. Up, down, left, right. By the way, I a tell great you, a great metrics you just shared. Yeah, just, just think about people that way on your team. It is a I, I like that. Awesome, I like. Yeah, it. and it's it's super easy, right? Because you can make that assessment really quickly in real time, and you can think about because I, I think a lot of times we think we're we think we're more ally like than we are. Just like when you ask people, "Are you a good listener?" Most people say yes, and most people are not good listeners, right? Yeah. Um, so. This unconditional we, I'm going to give you the feedback you need to hear, not just the feedback you want to hear. I always characterize the difference between an ally and say a, a supporter or anybody else. You know, an ally, if we're jumping out of an airplane, we're linking arms and going out the door together, right? A supporter will wait for your chute to open, make sure it opens and then jump out after you, right? Um, they're less willing to take risks. Allies show up and they do the thing that needs to be done, right? And we assess kind of where we are in in the decisions that we make um, by what we call the ally mindset. It's just a way of breaking it down. Tornal Training's Learning Matter experts are passionate about designing effective solutions that move the needle. Whether your organization needs development of e-learning courses, instructor-led training, or assistance with creating optimized electronic versions of employee handbooks, our team can help. 
To learn more, visit turtle.com slash learning dash development. So I like this concept of me versus we. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people start off with me. Oh, yeah. In a big way. What, what, are the, what advice do you give to a leader to create a culture of we? Yeah, well, I mean, first, first is the good, long, hard look in the mirror. Um, I, was, I was coaching someone not too long ago, and she said, I, I'm an ally. That's how I show up. And then we talked about some examples of things that she did, behaviors that she, she elicited in, in work relationships. And as we talked about them and she said them out loud, she was like, huh, you used the phrase sandbagging a little while ago, Evan. She was sandbagging in her own relationships. She was like, not really showing up as an ally. I'm kind of waiting to see what the risk level is before I make my decision. That's supporter behavior. That's not ally behavior, right? I'm not in it for the betterment of us, for the team, for the organization. I'm assessing my personal risk to my own credibility and brand before I'm weighing in. That's key number one to, (laughs) hello, I'm not an ally. Um, Because you're thinking about me first before we first. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, if we if we go through and assess how we show up in team meetings, in one-on-ones, in coaching sessions, um, we're not always leading with the we. And we have to be honest with ourselves about that because humans are really good at delusion. I think we're, we all know that. We're coming into the holidays. Everybody's about to become very steadfast eaters and gym attendees for about a week and a half here in about a month. Yeah. So what I'm really hearing is the key to really great leadership is to be the example. And that when people see that you're an ally and you're a we, then they will become because they will feel confident that it's safe to do so. And they will shift. Is- yeah, I think their, their propensity to do that is higher. Can you guarantee it? No. Right. We only have so much bandwidth to put into relationships and we have to be selective of the relationships that we choose to invest in. And we have to take a look at the other ones, the ones where we may have enough credits in the bank to let them be. And a lot of that depends on the work that we're focused on, the projects that we're focused on, the people that we're going to be interacting with in the short term. You know, I may have a great relationship with my buddy Evan and love hanging out with him, but if I'm not working with you on a project, it's not going to behoove me to invest that time, effort, and energy into bettering this relationship and I may be avoiding one that I really need to move from more of a rival or a supporter into as close as I can get it into that ally bucket. I gotta, that, that may take a lot of juice on my part. So I'm going to do a little shift in the conversation now. Uh, this, is, this is a shout out to all the people in the training world. Uh, your company does a ton of workshops. Mm-hmm. Are you doing workshops virtually now? I'm assuming the answer is yes. Absolutely. And how is that going? And what advice would you give to uh, fellow facilitators of workshops to make the virtual workshop effective? Yeah, absolutely. We, we've learned a ton, right? We've tried a lot of things. We've made investments in a lot of gear uh, and we've learned a lot. Uh, we've done over 350 workshops in the last 16 months, all digital. Um, and we were, I mean, digital was five, 10% of what we did in the past. It was all in person. So it's a big shift. Um, so I would say a couple of quick, quick rules for doing virtual workshops, right? 
Number one, uh, your sound quality matters more than anything else. If you're doing it screaming into your, you know, laptop mic, uh, people aren't going to hang with you. They're not going to be. They're not going to be captivated. They're not going to be involved, and they're not going to go along with you for the journey. So, sound quality is is, is number one. Uh, two, breakout rooms are your friends. Um, if you're doing a workshop, um, we we've sort of settled on two hours as being the kind of magic window. They get longer than that, we lose people. Shorter than that, it's too hard to get your learning points across. Two hours is our magic window. And what that means is it's two hour workshop. We're gonna do two, maybe three learning points and two activities, right? That's the, yep. the sort of golden ratio that's worked for us. Um, and then lastly, I would say use a tool. Uh, mural boards are great, jam boards are great, Miro's great. If you can use something that people can interact with, not because the interaction is, is amazing, it's not, it's clunky and people aren't good at it. But what's good is the artifact left behind after the workshop. It is way better and much more high quality and it lives forever, unlike the, the room full of flip charts that we took photos of and went and transcribed back into a Word doc in our hotel rooms in the old days. No doubt about it. You can actually do some pretty cool things with technology. Yeah. Um, totally, I mean, I, I love doing strategic planning virtually. It's uh, way better, right? Yeah, yeah no, it, <laughs> yeah. it is. And I think the use of breakout rooms, it, to your point, you know, to me, the key is to have people participate by talking and, and, and doing. And, and if you break people into breakout rooms, you got more people talking. You know, and we learned a, a really powerful lesson about that. So, you, you know, you do the opening icebreaker. We used to do that in the big room with everybody. And, you know, you'd burn 15 or 20 minutes doing that. We now put people into breakout rooms with the, with the same icebreaker question, and then we do a report out. So what we learned is that by getting people into breakout rooms, like literally five minutes into the show, um, and getting them talking and getting them used to doing the debrief, their participation was markedly higher than doing the icebreaker in the big room. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Makes sense, though, if you think about it. Yeah, because totally they're they're primed, right? They're already doing it. They they just came out of a thing where they got to talk, and it was an easy question. They didn't have to learn anything. They just talked about themselves. You know, this is a total diversion from everything. But I went to a three day seminar once, and they opened up by having everyone get in pairs, meet the person, and then everyone introducing the other person. Mm -hmm. And I thought this is kind of a cool activity. Two and a half hours of introductions mm -hmm. and I'm thinking I'm paid for three days. I could have been done an hour, two and a half hours early. I mean, it was crazy long, just crazy long. Yeah. Um, but it, the it's, efficiency a, it, it's a trade-off, right? Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, I like the idea, but totally. you know, there were too many people in the room. Right. But if you could do something that like that in the breakout room, that's, that's the magic. So I think that's, that's a really, that's a really great tip. And what, what we do is when people come back, we have them tell us, tell us the one thing that resonated with you most during your conversation in that breakout room. So whether there's two people in there or, or, you know, six or eight people in there, each room, whoever the spokesperson is, we have them nominate a spokesperson every time that spokesperson's got one point to sell. Right. And sometimes yeah. they try to do more, but it makes it really fast and punchy and interesting for the people who weren't in that room, right? So we have a, a different level of dialogue 
and we'll type things in the chat in parallel while that's happening to establish that as a norm as well. So when we do a breakout, we're gonna talk about it afterwards and we're gonna talk in chat. We're gonna have this sort of parallel conversation because <laughs> this is my last tip. We always co-facilitate in digital. So one person takes on the majority of the production work, driving the deck, doing the music, the audio cues, doing the breakouts, and the other person just has to be focused on content and metering the chat, what's going on in chat. Well, that makes sense because if you're trying to do all of it, you're, gonna, you're not gonna be paying attention. That's right. You're, you're definitely not gonna be paying, paying attention. So if I was gonna do a normal one day workshop, which used to be live workshops were either half day or one day, but let's just say it's a one day workshop, would you essentially do like four two-hour workshops or how would you I've, accomplish the same amount? Yeah, I have found that from a, a one-day in-person workshop, I can actually do it in three two-hour workshops. Yeah. And here, here, here's the thing that we've learned as well in terms of chunking it into smaller chunks. You know, when we used to get together in a room for a full day and sort of fire hose content at you for eight hours, um, when you left, you took your binder, you put it on your shelf back in your office, and you maybe remembered one or two things six months after the event. By chunking it into smaller pieces and giving you time to chew on it in between, so that one-day workshop now becomes three two-hour sessions that we do every Monday for three weeks. Yeah. You know, from eight to 10. And you've got concept number one, you got, you got a week to chew on that, and we'll connect back to it when we get together that next Monday, what did you do? We'll give you some homework. Maybe it's a, a small group activity that you do outside um, or whatever. We give you a chance to actually play with the thing before we make you talk about it again, before we teach you something else. So you're giving them homework in between, mm -hmm. which is great. Um, I totally agree with you. I, mean, I think a mind is like uh, a tape and it's about 30 to 45 minutes long. And That's then right. it starts to tape over. And I, I think one of the biggest crimes is people try to accomplish way too much. I, and, I, and, and, you know, to me, if you're doing two hours and you said the same thing before, it's two or three key points that, that you drive home, you give them time to use it, play with it, uh, and, and really absorb it and learn it. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you said that 10 years in a, in a, in a, in a year, I think it could be more uh, because the comfort level that people have virtually is so different. And ultimately it, it's gonna be better. Um, it is, it is. It's really interesting, Evan. You know, another thing that I've been thinking a lot about is the types of people that participate in the classroom. So in a in-person session, right? You know, if you got 30 people in that session or 50 people in that session, by the third or fourth hour, you, you've got your handful of people in that room who are the regular contributors. Right. In the digital space, I have much more control over who and how participates. And those people, you know, those INTJs, those disc C's of the world who need time to process, they can actually do that when we're only doing two learning points or three learning points yeah. in this in this workshop. And I don't have to say it. I can chat it in. Right. So I can type it. And then the if the facilitator is good at what they do and paying attention, that comment will get lifted and we'll talk about it. And then my extroverts can chime in on how they feel about that as well. So it changes the, the, the direction of the conversation, I think, from what it's like in person in a one day or half day seminar. You know, I teach uh, facilitation skills 
And probably the number one tip that I give people is pause. You know, <laughs> yeah. have some downtime, let the listener catch up to you, let their mind catch up to you because you're on to the next topic. They, you know, they're catching you mid-sentence because they're still thinking about what you just said. Oh, dude. And if you, if it's a topic that you've done 50 times, man, you know what comes next and your, your brain is already there in that. 30 seconds that you pause, that 10 seconds that you pause can feel excruciatingly slow to you yeah. because your, your brain is cruising at a whole different speed than they are. And I think that's, that is a fantastic tip. Just chill out for a minute, slow down. Okay. This is a great conversation. I think actually we really talked about, you know, conceptually and relationship and leadership and we've been practical. It's been a great podcast. I am sure people, Eric, you're the chief operating officer of Sky Team. Uh, what does Sky Team do, and who are the people that you know that should be calling you and or emailing you and connecting with you? Yeah, so Sky Team uh, is a leadership and team development consultancy. We've been around since 2007. Uh, our focus is on working with intact teams and doing programmatic leadership programs. Think things like manager essentials programs, leadership academy programs. We do, we do executive coaching, usually orthogonal to the programs. Um, you can find us at skyteam.com. That's sky with an E, S-K-Y-E-T-E-A-M.com. And uh, yeah, we, we work with uh, startups to Fortune 50s. We've been all over the map. We tend to gravitate towards more technical organizations because all of the folks inside of Sky Team come from high-tech companies. So we... <laughs> We like to say that we can we can speak leadership to nerds. They they they'll get it. Yeah, and I'll tell you one reason to give Eric a call is because a lot of times we let leadership be the last thing, and you know this is training unleashed, and we're all about the power of training, and getting leadership to be in sync, getting to be a commonality of style focus to assume that someone has ascended to leadership and actually knows what effective leadership is, I think is a misconception. So uh, I encourage people to give you a call. Um, Eric, I know you also have an offer and it's a pretty cool one. So I'll let, I'll let you share that with everyone. Yeah. So got a couple things for listeners of the Training Unleashed podcast. All right. So we've got some content for you on the concept of relationships in the workplace and we're going to make that available to Training Unleashed listeners free of charge at cultivateatwork.com. And when you get in there and you choose your modules, when you get to checkout, just use the coupon code, all lowercase, Training Unleashed, and those will be made available to you free of charge. Thank you very much. Now we're at the most fun part of the podcast, which is what if you had one tip to share, what would that tip be? What is your one tip? So one tip, if you do nothing else, if you take nothing else away from our conversation about relationships at work, um, it's what we call the relationship pulse check. It's the easiest thing that you can do to take a quick pulse to see where things are with a specific person with whom you work. And it's three questions. You, just, you ask, what's working for you in our relationship? What's not working? And what's one thing that I can do to help us or you be more successful? Super love easy. It. Love it. Love it. I love the phrasing too. 
not it's, what's it's bad, a, not what's wrong, what's not working. What's not working. Yeah. And it's the thing that we've actually baked into our one-on-one. So like when I get together with my business partner, I know she's going to ask me those three questions. Yeah. So it's not weird for me to give feedback when I have to give feedback. There's a venue for it. It's baked yeah. in. Love it. So Eric, I want to thank you for being a guest. I want to thank my audience. Without you, we would not have a show. I want to thank my sponsors, my friends at C-Suite Radio and TV. And everyone have a great day. And again, Eric, thank you for being a guest. Training Unleashed is brought to you by Tortal Training, specializing in e-learning and interactive online training solutions for corporate, government, nonprofit, and franchise organizations. Tortal makes effective training easier. Just go to tortal.net to gain access to real-world tools that can make a difference. That's tortal.net, T-O-R-T-A-L, tortal.net. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.